this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things that I've grown to miss in my year in Utah is a campfire. We don't have trees in the backyard that we can just chop down. We don't have uh, big piles of wood. In fact, in many times of the year, we're told not to even burn stuff. Growing up, we would burn stuff all the time. It didn't matter where in the yard, burn the yard down, didn't matter. But in Utah, it does kind of matter. You can't do that kind of stuff. The sound of wood crackling. Do you know what I'm talking about? The sound of the flames beginning to consume the logs is just so satisfying, isn't it? When you see those flames beginning to take over the wood and then after a little while, the the fire starts to simmer down and then it's that perfect place to start roasting your s'mores. You get your marshmallows out, you're roasting them. It is just perfect. And then as the night goes on, you've eaten your s'mores, you've wiped your face of all the sticky goo and you're there sitting watching these embers and they're so mesmerizing. You're looking at this fire thinking, wow, this thing is It's just so mesmerizing as I stare at the flames moving in and out and the embers glowing and diminishing the joys of a campfire. Right now we're just using my grill, so it's not really the same thing. Okay, but the thing that we see with a campfire is that it's not that different than our own hearts sometimes. When we consider the story of our own hearts, they can be likened to a fire that starts. It starts really bright, it burns boldly strong. The wood is ignited. There's a strong flame that's there. And then over time, we feel the warmth of the love for Jesus and for others. And it's, and it's just all present and you sit around it and you're just enjoying the warmth that comes from those flames. But as time goes on, as you continue to walk with the Lord, maybe years and years of being a Christian, the fire starts to diminish little by little. Over time, those truths that once were so fresh and vital to you were so exciting now become just commonplace truths. And the embers begin to just glow. And over time, the fires of our hearts begin to wane to the point where maybe there's not much going on there. Maybe our hearts have grown cold. My question for you this morning is where is your heart? Where is your heart at? Has your heart grown cold to Jesus? Has your heart grown cold to him? And as as we come to this text, my encouragement to you is to come to it and then rekindle that love for him. Let it be like a flame that ignites your hearts this morning and rekindles that affection for Christ. So that your love for him would would grow and it would impact the people around you. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel like your heart is just like that campfire that's dwindled down to hardly anything. Maybe you see your heart and you think, wow, my heart is, is passionate for Christ. I have deep affection for him. Well, my encouragement to you this morning is this. Continue to rekindle that love over and over and over again. You see what Jesus is doing this morning in this letter to Ephesus, as he is calling this church to rekindle their love for him once again. And he shows us how. He shows us how this is going to take place, how we can have those flames ignited again and have a deep love for Christ that overflows then into how we see the people that are lost around us. 
So the first thing that Jesus tells us as we consider how to rekindle our love for him is to listen to him, to listen to Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine a room with seven lampstands. And there's these lamps that are sitting on these stands and they're reflecting light into the room. Little oil lamps and they're, they're used to light the whole room up and there's seven of them scattered about. And then there's this person who's walking in and out of the lamps. And this person is holding seven stars in his hand. And he's walking around to each of the lamps and he's looking at them, inspecting every one of them, showing his care and affection for them. He's looking at each one, wondering how that flame is, is showing brightly or if it's not showing brightly. He's looking at each one of them. And this is the picture of verse 1. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus. Now, conveniently for us, what happens earlier in chapter 1 is we're actually told what all of these things mean. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So these stars are referring to these angelic messengers. They are essentially representing the churches, and they are the messengers to carry the message back to these churches. They're intended to highlight that Jesus has sovereignty and authority over the church. They're placed in his right hand. Jesus is holding them. So Jesus is addressing these angels in each of these letters. And he's holding them in his right hand. And then we see these lampstands. They're just set about each one is representing a church. And you can imagine Jesus being the one who cares for his bride. He's looking at each of those lamps. He's inspecting them. He's caring for them. He's showing his authority in that he could remove a lamp if it is not burning in the way that it was intended to. And so this picture shows a Jesus who has the authority to speak to the church a Jesus who has the identity that's necessary to come and speak to the Ephesians because he's the one who has all sovereignty, he has all authority, he has all care and love for these churches, and he has things he wants to tell them. He has words. So the reason why the Ephesians should be listening is because of this Jesus is walking among the lampstands is the one who has authority. It's the reason why each one of us this morning should be listening well to this text because we want to know what does Jesus say to us today? What words does he have for us? The one who has authority over Lakeshore Baptist Church is not us. It's not the pastors. It's Jesus. He is the authority over this church and as the one who has authority wants to speak this morning. Just think what he says in chapter 2 verse 23. As we think about Jesus examining each of these churches, we found out a little bit more. He says this, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. You just think about this picture. Jesus knows all. His blazing eyes pierce through the thin veneer of our Christian faith and he sees the depths of each of our hearts and he knows all that is happening there and he has something to say for the Ephesians, something to say for Lakeshore, something to say for every one of us. So what does Jesus say? 
Jesus first begins with commending the church. Now this is an encouraging thing, maybe because of his grace and mercy, he wants to start on the positive note, maybe to draw us in and tell us, okay, there are things that are going well. And so that's where he begins with. In verse two, verse two, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Jesus is acknowledging that they are unable to bear with those who are evil, specifically those who are claiming to be apostles but are not. This church is committed to orthodoxy. They know their theology. They know the truth. They're able to decide, okay, that person's speaking false, that person's speaking false because this is what the truth is. What's really encouraging is earlier in the history of the church in Ephesus, Paul, before he left them in Acts chapter 20, gives them a warning. Paul says this in Acts 20, 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Jesus commends them. He's saying, listen, you've, you've been doing what Paul challenged you to do. You're remaining faithful. You're pointing out where there's heresy over there. False teachers are over here. They've been doing a phenomenal job in that regard. In fact, later in our chapter, verse 6, we find that they are also commended for hating the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, it's likely that the Nicolaitans were involved in some kind of immorality or idolatry. And so he's commending them on another front. They're unable to bear against immorality as well. These were two practices that would have been very rampant in Ephesus. As the pagans there worshipped their goddess Artemis, a, a worship that involved immorality, idolatry, and so many levels. And so here was a church that could identify and say, look at all of those things that are wrong. We hate those things too. So in one sense, they were unable to bear with false teaching and immorality. They understood that. But then in another sense, they were patiently enduring, verse 3 tells us, under persecution and false teaching. They were persevering as Christians in a dark place. Now I want you just to imagine something. Imagine living in a city that has a massive temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis. A massive temple. Imagine a city that is welcoming to criminals. Criminals just come to the city. It's the place where criminals can find comfort and home. Imagine a city that so passionately worshipped this goddess that for two hours they chanted this one line over and over when Paul went there to share the gospel. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They said that for two hours. I can barely say it for 20 seconds. But for two hours, they chanted that over and over. This is the kind of city they lived in. And it was this kind of city that they endured patiently, bearing up for the sake of Jesus' name. So Jesus commends them for being unwilling to bear with false teaching and immorality and then bearing up under the persecution and the struggles of living in a place of such darkness, a place that needed so 
desperately the good news of Jesus. Jesus is commending and encouraging them. And in one sense, he's saying, if this is you, carry on. This is a good thing. These are things you need to continue to do. But unfortunately, it's not all that Jesus says about them. Jesus' words to this church also include him confronting them. A church that could do so much for Jesus' sake had one gaping problem. You see, the all-knowing the all-seeing Jesus who walks among the lampstands can look at each one of the lamps and point out with such precision the deficiencies of that church. Unlike anybody else, this Jesus is the one who's able to get right to the heart, to pass through all the fog of our Christian living and get right to what the issue is, and that's exactly what he does here. Verse 4 says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. When, when you read that, don't you just think, what? Like, I thought these Christians were great Christians. They were unable to bear with heresy, false theology. They didn't like immorality. They were persecuted, but they endured patiently for the sake of Jesus Many of us would say, that would be a great commendation. I would love to hear someone say that about me. But here's a church whose deficiency was so serious that Jesus said, unless you repent, I'm going to take your lamp and remove it. There was something drastically wrong going on. You see, a lamp was intended to brightly radiate the glory of Christ. Its intention was to point to Jesus, and so that light was going to be a witness. And so here's a church, and their wick, their light was diminishing. It was beginning to flicker. Not much was happening in terms of the glory of Christ being emanated from that church. We see here in Scripture a clear connection. When we think about this idea of abandoning your love for Christ, there's this clear connection between our love for God and then our love for others. We see this in passages like Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31. Jesus is answering the question, what is the greatest commandment? He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus articulates there's two primary focuses our affection should go. First to God, and then naturally to those around us. But what we find is a deficiency of love here in Ephesus that really begins first with their love for God that's deficient and what has resulted is a deficient love for the people that are right next to them. We see this in John chapter, First uh, John, excuse me, chapter 4. In 1 John 4, John tells us about this absence of love in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
You see, these verses are pushing against the kind of Christian that can say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but I hate all of you. It's pushing against the kind of Christian that may be doing all of these things in the name of Jesus. Look how great of a Christian I am. I don't like that. I don't like that. And look how I'm enduring persecution, but I don't really love Jesus. Truly in my heart, and it's evident by the way I treat people. It's pushing against those kinds of Christians because when we have a love for Jesus, it naturally then manifests itself in a love for those around us. I'm learning a lot about the importance of snow in Utah. When snow falls in the mountains, which were about 4,800 feet above sea level, the mountains are about 10,000 feet, so quite a bit higher, they get a considerable amount of snow. In fact, this last year we set a record, 877 inches of snow in the mountains. I didn't have to shovel it, don't worry. It wasn't like that. It was all up in the mountains, a huge amount of snow. But what happens is that snow begins to melt and it trickles down the mountains and then it fills the reservoirs. And the reservoirs keep us all alive. They keep us hydrated. They allow us to flush toilets and take showers and water our grass and do all of those things. And without the snow, there is no full reservoir. Without the reservoir, there's no living in Utah. This is the same with our hearts when it comes to our relationship with Christ. If we are absent of our love for Christ, it becomes evident in our absence of love for the people who are around us. The reservoir is empty. There's nothing to give anybody because we haven't loved Christ. And so when Jesus is calling this church out, he's saying, you've abandoned your love for me. And that love is manifested in this light, in this lamp that's supposed to be bright. It's supposed to be a witness to the world. It's supposed to highlight the glory of Christ. But it's dying. It's flickering. Because their love for Christ is no longer there. See, here's the thing. The church of Ephesus had a lot of commendations. But this glaring shortcoming meant that their lampstand did not burn the way that it was supposed to. They loved truth. They loved truth. They could say that is wrong and that is wrong, remember? And they could endure through persecution. Yet they did not love the person about which that truth spoke, nor the people who were so desperate and needing to hear the truth. Reminds us of passages like 1 Corinthians 13. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. They had abandoned their first love. My question for us this morning is how much are we like the church in Ephesus? How much are we like them this morning? We may have a deep love for truth. We may not be able to bear under the false teaching and immorality. We look at those things and we can say, those are wrong. We can point them out easily. We might endure persecution for Jesus' sake, for his very name. We think about the onrush of the pressures from our culture to conform to all of these new things. And you all feel it. I know you do. And in the midst of all of that, we too can abandon our first love. Just think of all the times we have bemoaned the world and our culture. Or all the times we have fallen into this mentality of us versus them. We can point out the failures in their theology. We can point out the failures in their morality. 
But the sad part is we can do all of it without a lack of love or with a lack of love for all of those people. Love is absent even though we can point out all of those things. Friends, we can be just like the Ephesians doing so much for Jesus' sake, yet all the while not actually loving Jesus like we're supposed to. This is the charge he's bringing against the church in Ephesus. This is a call to each of us to be honest, to consider how it is so much easier for us to point out all the people who are wrong than to actually pray for them. It is so much easier to point our finger at the world and how it's becoming worse and worse and worse rather than actually go share the message of hope with them. As Christians, it is so easy to sit on the couches of our Christian faith, if you will, watching the TV screen of our world go by and recognizing all of those things are wrong. And they are, we know it. But never be moved off of the couch of our Christian faith to actually share the message of hope with them. So Jesus is calling each of us this morning back to this question, do we love him? We can all agree the world is a mess. We can all agree that. There are people out there who need, who are proclaiming, excuse me, false truth. We know those things. But I want you to think about this. What if Jesus simply looked at the broken world from the safety of his heavenly home and pointed out all the failures of this broken world and then never came? What if Jesus just stayed up there and said, you know what, those people are so messed up, forget them but aren't you so glad that's not the case? We're here this morning because Jesus said, no, I'm going to go down there and redeem them. He gave of his very life for us. He said behind the the comforts of the heavenly home to die in a tree for our sake so that we can know the love of the Father. And so friends, this morning, my hope, my prayer is that all of us will be willing to enter into the darkness of the world because we carry the torch of light, the gospel of truth, You have the good news. My hope is that all of us be willing to jump into the chaos of the crashing waves because we hold the line of hope. We know the good news of Jesus and we can rescue those who are perishing with that message. So Jesus is calling us to be compelled off of the couches, if you will, and to have a deep affection for him that moves us to reach people for his sake. Church, we need to rekindle our love for him. So let me ask you this morning, what is Jesus saying to you? What are Jesus' words to you this morning? Has your heart grown cold? Has it been replaced by a harsh seal for orthodoxy and theology? That's wrong. That's wrong. Or does it grow warm and affection for Jesus and the lost and broken world around you? Do you love the truth, but not necessarily the person the truth is about? Do you love the message, but not the people who need to hear it? Jesus is calling all of us, myself included, to rekindle our love for him over and over because our hearts are so prone to grow cold. So the first step for us as we consider how to rekindle our affection is simply to listen to Jesus with humility. To listen to his word and let it speak to us and convict us and reveal and expose our hearts. 
That there's coldness there and we need to see that coldness change into warmth for Christ. And he leads us into this as we think about this next part of how we rekindle our love by remembering Jesus. Look at verse five. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now there are three commands in this passage. Three commands with one primary command and the other two kind of flow out of it. So the first primary command is remember. And when we remember what happens is there's a repentance and then a going back to the things we did at first. I want you to think of it this way. If you're married in this room, think of it like your anniversary. Every year the anniversary comes around. It's a good thing because it reminds you of your love for your spouse. You just start thinking back to those first moments when you saw your husband or wife coming down the aisle or on the stage and you're rekindling your love. You're thinking about all that, that fresh love that didn't care at all about all their faults, all the shortcomings they have. You're just thinking, wow, I love this person. Or maybe some of you in this room, you're thinking back to something like your first job. The job you were longing for. You couldn't wait to have that one job. And here you are, maybe a few years later down the road, and you think, man, I hate this company. Maybe you just need to take a moment this afternoon and be like, I did actually want this job one day. It was a long time ago. But you remember again that love you had. Or kids, maybe you just need to remember that moment you got along with your sibling. And you look back to those moments, the brother and sisters, we were all getting along and it was going great. And you thought, we actually really enjoy each other. And on those days when you don't, you need to remember back to that. You see, remembering is a powerful antidote to coldness of heart. It's a means of stirring the affections of our hearts again. And Jesus is calling us to remember him. And when we do that, we repent we go back and we do the works we did at first. Just think again to this example of, of marriage. When you think again of your, your, your first love, the love you had of your spouse, it moves you to change and the anniversary comes and you think, man, I have not put enough time and energy into this marriage. And so the rust starts to fall off that marriage. You start to think about those things you did at first and you rekindle it over and over. And this is the same for the Christian walk. Over and over we're seeking to remember we want to reignite the flames of that love again for Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Do you remember the first day when you came to know Jesus? Can you look back and think about that moment when the massive burden resting on your shoulders, guilt, shame, as you came to the cross and you, you turned to Christ in faith and the, the weight came off of your shoulders and that freedom and the joy of forgiveness and mercy washed over you, do you remember that? Do you remember the joy it was of, of having freedom of forgiveness? The way you looked at people was different. Those people that just poke at you, oh, you didn't care. Oh, I love Jesus, man. I love you too. Give me all the hardness you want. I don't really care. That was a joy that just exuded from you because you were so fresh in that love for Christ. You knew fully what Christ had done for you. Do you remember that? Do you remember your first love? 
I want to share with you a couple thoughts this morning on ways we can work to rekindle our love for Christ. Ways that you and I can remember. Ways that we can go back to those first moments and stir afresh the affection of our heart or if you will, go stoke the embers in the fire and throw a few logs in it to bring some warmth back to your heart for Christ. I would encourage you, look at passages like Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 is a wonderful passage telling us of the story of our redemption, our brokenness, our desperate need for somebody to enter into us and bring mercy. And we find in verse 4, but God being rich in what? In mercy. I mean, just remember that. Remind yourself of that affection for Christ. Recently, I've been reading in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 31 through 37. This reminder's been on my heart all week. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Isn't it so encouraging to know that though our hearts grow cold, his does not? His heart is always affectionate for you. And you go to passages like Romans 8 and you think, oh yeah, nothing separates me from the love of God. And so when we look at the love of Christ that he's shown us, it begins to cause our own hearts to radiate again affection for him and for others. It begins to thaw your heart of the coldness that's there as you look at what Christ has done on your behalf. So maybe this morning you need to look to the word. Rekindle your love for him. Remember that truth. Or here's another suggestion. Maybe you need to gather with a group of believers and share your testimony with them and hear their testimony on how they came to know Christ. Do you ever wonder why we don't do that? Maybe you do, which is good. But so often we don't share how we came to know Christ with others. Maybe have some people to your house and you just say, listen, we're going to gather together and we're just going to tell how we came to know Jesus. And then you know how you have a candle that's lit over here, one candle that's not lit, and sometimes you take the lit candle and you light the one that's not? In a similar way, when you're hearing the affection that someone else has for Christ, it begins to warm your own heart. It stirs in you and reminds you of what Christ has done. It helps thaw the coldness. Here's another suggestion. Sing gospel truth. I mean, this morning, wasn't that not great? To remember what Christ has done and you're here with a group of believers who are singing praise to God and that's a way for you to remember again what Christ has done. Bob Coughlin has something to say about singing the gospel. He says this, God gave us singing to affect the things we love, to remind us of the things that are most important about what Jesus has done to save us, to redeem us. Those things are most important in life. We want to be amazed by those truths. It's that last line that really caught me. We want to be amazed by those truths. Does your music move you to love Christ more? Does it remind you of those gospel truths and bring you back to who Christ is and what he's done in your behalf? Each time you partake in communion, another example of ways we can remember, you hear this phrase, do this in what? In remembrance of me. Every time you partake of communion, you're reminding yourself of what Christ has accomplished in the past on your behalf 
and how you presently are standing in his redemptive work and you're looking forward to the point when Christ will return again. That is remembering. That's why you do it often. To remember what Christ has done. Friends, can I encourage you this week to pray? To seek the Lord's face, to ask him to reignite your love for him. To help you cause the coldness of your heart to be thawed so that you can remember what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. This kind of remembering, it takes intentional effort on our part. It's not something that ends. It's not something you do just on Sunday. It's every day of your life. You want to keep coming back and remembering Christ. So Jesus tells us the way we rekindle our love for him is by listening to him, by remembering him. These next two points are a lot shorter. Don't be worried. And then to hear the Spirit. To hear the Spirit. Look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, when you hear that, it should cause you to think about another passage in Scripture. When Jesus is sharing the parable of the four soils, he uses a very similar phrase. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he's calling us all to listen. We can can hear these words. You can hear my words this morning, hear Jesus' words this morning, but actually not let it cause any change in your life. And so at the end of every one of these letters that Jesus sends to these seven churches, he puts this statement in there, calling them to hear the words of the Spirit. See, here's the sad part. Not all who hear Jesus will listen. Words will pass through the ears, but they will not act on it. There will be those who refuse to listen to what Jesus is saying. They'll have a deep love for knowledge, probably fueled by some kind of pride. They'll keep walking in pride rather than humility. They'll continue to pursue more knowledge, continue to long for more understanding, continue to identify false theology, continue to recognize immorality, continue to bear up for the sake of Jesus' name. Yet all the while, they will continue to not actually love him. Their fire pit may be stacked with wood, if you will, but there is no warmth, there is no fire, there is no love for Christ. And the truth is that some will be there. So may we, each of us, heed the words of Jesus and listen with humility. Listen this morning with humility to look into our own hearts and acknowledge that at some level, each of us have coldness in our hearts toward Christ. May we have the humility to seek his face and then work to remember and rekindle that love again. May we listen to the truth that Jesus is sharing this morning. Jesus is calling us to respond to this truth. And it's never comfortable. We know it's never comfortable when people begin to peer into our hearts. But that's what Jesus is doing this morning. And the encouragement is this. There's no one else you would rather peer into your heart but him the one who gave his life on your behalf. He's the one who's looking into the depths of your heart right now, maybe revealing right now in your own heart the coldness you have for him, the ways you need to grow your affection for him. My friends, can I encourage you to hear the Spirit, listen to the words. But here's this last point. 
We need to persevere in light of the promise. You see, this is a call, as I've said already, to daily pursue Christ. This isn't something we just do once when we first come to know Christ, but all of our lives we want to persevere. And so he says this in verse 7, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We just think about this. Jesus is saying, That for all of us who conquer, we will have that eternal promise, eternal life with him. Eternal life with him. This same tree that was offered in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, the same tree that was then guarded by the angels when Adam and Eve sinned, that same tree is now accessible from another tree. The tree in which Jesus died. Grant Osborne says this, behind the tree of life and the final reward is the tree on which Christ was slain. So the tree of life could not become accessible to us unless it was for the tree of death and where Christ laid down his life for you and me. Jesus' death for our sin, his resurrection, which demonstrated his victory over all things, enables you and I to be victorious now. You see, our ability to conquer in this text is not because of our great wisdom or our great strength. No, our ability to conquer is because of what Christ has done. And so we stand in his victory. And as a result, we too can be one of those who conquers and enjoys the promise of eternal life. We rekindle our love and affection for him by remembering this remarkable promise that because of Christ, we can then enjoy him forever and ever and ever. This is the hope that we have, Christians. And this should fuel us day in and day out to rekindle our love for him. If you're a Christian this morning, let me just encourage you, persevere. Persevere. Remember the promise. Remember the joy of what Christ has done for you. Continue to work to stir the affections of your heart. Remember that Christ has done so much for you. And then remember this, that one day you're going to stand before him. As Revelation 5 says, the lamb who was slain. And you're going to get to see him. And you're going to bow down and worship. There is a day in which the coldness of your hearts will no longer be there. A day when it will be full and warm for Christ because there will no longer be sin. And we'll stand and bask in his glory forever and ever and ever. And that promise should fuel us today to remind us to continue to stir our hearts in this difficult place for his sake. Yet what if there was never a flame in your heart? What if the embers of your heart don't exist and you're wondering this morning, I don't even know if I have any affection for Christ. Friend, let me tell you something. There is really good news. The way that we gain access to the tree of life is by first coming to the tree in Golgotha where Christ was slain for you. Where Christ laid his life down for you. And you also can come and you can take your burden that rests on your shoulders and you can come to that cross and you can see forgiveness and mercy wash over you as you trust in Christ and Christ alone and that burden will come off your shoulder and you too can have this great promise for yourself. A promise that will carry you all the way through this life. So friend, this morning, if you're wondering, do I know Christ? Do I have any affection there? Come to the cross. Come to the cross and listen to what Jesus is offering you. His very life for your sake. 
Church, let's rekindle our affection for him. Let's rekindle our affection for him. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Let's listen to what he says in his word to the Ephesians and then the rest of scriptures. Let's remember what Jesus has done in our behalf. Let's listen to the Spirit's convicting work, pointing out the areas in our life where we need to grow and change. And then let's persevere in light of the promise so that what is cold in our hearts might begin to be warmed again toward Christ and then toward others. Let's rekindle our love so that our lamps would burn brightly and then many would come to know Christ because they see the love of Christ in us as we share the good news of Jesus with others. Let's pray together. As we close your eyes and begin to lift our hearts up, I want to ask you a few questions. Could it be that your heart and love for Christ has grown cold? Maybe you see this morning areas where coldness has really taken hold. You could say you have a love for truth. You could say you have an understanding of the shortcomings of the world. Yet you could say, yes, my heart is cold. Can I just encourage you this morning as you pray in your hearts to confess that to the Lord and plead with him to rekindle your love for him. Maybe as you pray to yourself for a few moments, coming before the Lord, could it be that you have a lack of love for the world around you? You have a harsh mentality toward the world and its brokenness. Maybe you need to come and bring that before the Lord as well this morning, confessing that you would rather point out all the failures in the world rather than reach them with the good news of Jesus. Maybe you need to confess that to the Lord. But maybe this morning, in some way, you saw that your own heart is beginning to grow warm to him again. And there we rejoice. Give praise to him for what he's done and helping rekindle that affection. And then maybe this morning you're here and you're listening thinking, man, have I really turned to Christ? My hope and prayer is that you would. Father, as we come to you this morning, Father, we ask that these words would not just pass through our ears. We ask this morning that you would help stir in our hearts a deep love for Christ that moves us to action to share the love of Christ with those who are lost. Father, would you help us this morning, Father, to not just leave this room and forget these truths, but think much of what Christ is saying in this text, in this letter to the Ephesians. Father, in whatever way that is needed, would you help each one in here to walk away and say, yes, this is the way my heart needs to grow and change. Father, help us all to have a deeper love and affection for Christ. Lord, guard us from the coldness that we're so prone to, Lord, and then remind us, Father, remind us of your love that it never gets cold and it never diminishes, Father. Help us never to forget that. Lord, help us, Father, to continually come before you seeking to rekindle so that we can burn brightly for your glory. Father, help us to be a church that would, oh Lord, reach so many for Christ. Help us to be a church, Lord, that would would reach the lost in this community and be part of reaching the lost in places like Utah and other parts of the world that so desperately need to hear this good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.